Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Sisters in Crime. I'm your host, Sarah, and I am solo today. Um, We tried to get this out to you guys on Thursday, but uh, we had some um, conflicts in Kate and I's schedule, and she's actually down in Naples, Florida, enjoying the hot sun down there. So I am going to be telling you a story about a 61-year-old case of a missing little girl who has finally been identified. Little Sharon, who was four years old in 1960, lived with her mother, siblings, and grandmother in New Mexico. Her family wasn't wealthy. Her mother, Lupe, supported the family by working as a maid at a motel. Sharon's cousins described her as a feisty child. Lupe mentioned in an interview that little Sharon's behavior had changed drastically in the days prior to her disappearance. She suddenly stopped wanting to go to the local grocery store and became visibly upset when she saw a green car asking to be picked up and carried past it. It was July 21st, 1960, when little Sharon was playing with her two cousins in her grandmother's yard. I just want to note here that some sources say her grandmother's yard and others say the alley behind her grandmother's house. And around 3 p.m. that day, Sharon was taken from that yard by a man and a woman who were in a dark green sedan believed to be a 1951 or 1952 Dodge or Plymouth. The couple had offered little Sharon some candy and new clothing if she got in the car with them, according to a source. When Sharon refused, the woman grabbed her by the arm and dragged her to the car. This was witnessed by her two cousins that she had been playing with. The two cousins were 5 and 11, so old enough to recount what the abductors looked like. The abductor's description is pretty detailed, so I'm wondering if there were other witnesses to describe them. Here's the description that I found. The woman was described by the witnesses as a short and heavy set individual in her 30s with dirty blonde hair. The man was described as fair, thin, Caucasian, with a long nose and straight, sandy-colored hair. The two cousins immediately went inside and told Sharon's mother what had happened, who immediately notified authorities. Roadblocks at the Texas-New Mexico state border were set up within an hour of being notified of the abduction, but unfortunately, authorities were unable to apprehend the abductors. And I'm not sure why they only set up roadblocks on the state border um, for New Mexico and Texas, and why not Arizona and New Mexico. On July 31st, 1960, so about 10 days after Sharon was abducted, Russell Allen, who was a school teacher, was out rock hunting for his garden in Congress, Arizona. Congress is about an hour and a half northwest of Phoenix. As he was out rock hunting, he came upon this small body that had been half buried and burned sticking out of the ground. The location was about a mile and a half from Highway 93. Russell immediately called the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office. At the scene were clues left behind, such as a pocket knife and footprints. Officials suspected the body to be that of little Sharon. The remains had on clothes that weren't described as what Sharon was wearing when she went missing, which was stated as pink shorts and white shoes. The FBI had performed a footprint comparison and concluded it didn't match to that of Sharon's. When the medical examiner performed the autopsy, his findings were the remains belonged to a white girl with an age range of five to seven years old. Sharon was four when she was abducted, three foot six inches to four foot five inches in height and likely weighing 50 to 60 pounds. 
Her hair color was determined brown, possibly having a tint of auburn, or it had been dyed that way. The body also had a full set of baby teeth that were in good condition. Cause of death was never determined, although it was clear death was due to a homicide. It was noted that the body was charred due to being set on fire. However, the medical examiner also stated that the child had not suffered any broken bones at all in in the child's entire life. Going back to the FBI performing a footprint comparison, you're probably wondering why a footprint comparison was performed. Well, let's remember this is 1960 where technology isn't very advanced. DNA was only discovered seven years earlier in 1953, but still wasn't used as a credible tool for law enforcement. At this time, footprint comparisons was probably the best technology available at the time, according to an interview with Lieutenant Tom Boltz. Investigations started immediately after the discovery of the body and the autopsy. The media went into a frenzy with coverage on the case. Even locals were involved in trying to discover who this little missing girl was. Yavapai County Sheriff Jen Kramer, Deputy County Attorney George Ireland, and other local law enforcement personnel ended up traveling hundreds of miles in radius by both air and land to try and identify the remains. Just by this information, you can tell this was a top priority case, and I think it was because it was the remains of a little girl. Convicts who had previously been convicted of various offenses that included young children were thoroughly interrogated, hoping to gain a lead from someone. Public appeals for information regarding the child's discovery and identity was responded by dozens of letters, phone calls, and telegrams, but nothing came to fruition. Authorities investigated every minor lead that they had in hopes of finding something. By the first week of August, investigators started considering that the remains found could in fact be those of Little Sharon. The location of the remains was about 497 miles away from where Sharon had been abducted, which you can see how that might affect their judgment. The only thing holding them back from confirming this could be Sharon was the medical examiner stated the age of the body could be around seven and little Sharon was four. On August 8, 1961, Sheriff Kramer led a party of law enforcement officers along with a camera crew to the site where the child's body had been found to bring light back to the crime. Later that afternoon, officials had released evidence, including the adult-sized sandals, which had been cut to fit a child's feet. Sheriff Kramer stated, somewhere there is someone who has the answer that we have been looking for. Maybe this will be the thing that will bring that person forward. Unfortunately, the footage didn't bring any new leads or information. So, with everyone under the impression that the body found in Arizona wasn't that of Little Sharon, the case eventually ran cold with few to no leads, and residents raised money to bury the little girl in a grave that read, Little Miss Nobody. It wasn't until 2018 that the decision to exhume the body of Little Miss Nobody was made due to the advances in technology and DNA profiling. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children offered to pay for the exhumation and testing. Examiners were successful in getting samples of the little girl's DNA and entered it into the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System in the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children databases. This allowed the DNA to be compared with nationwide unsolved murders and missing persons reports. Due to the 2018 exhumation, her age was redetermined to be between 3 and 6, with her height most likely being 3 foot 6 inches. The University of North Texas Center for Human Identification created a detailed forensic facial reconstruction, which is the image you have seen lately on the news, and we will have that on our Instagram page.
Nearly four years later, on March 15, 2022, the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office announced that Little Miss Nobody had been identified as Sharon Lee Gallegos. She has identified via genetic genealogy analysis. So this actually just happened a couple weeks ago, and I'm not sure at the time why leads weren't taken on the car. Um, I don't know why maybe fingerprints or... I understand this was 1960, but maybe some kind of DNA could be taken off the pocket knife that was found at the um, the crime scene. But I just wanted to kind of share that story since it happened a couple weeks ago of Little Miss Nobody. She was finally identified and it's one less missing person in the world. So we will be back this Thursday with me and Kate and we will bring you another great true crime story. See you next week.